0: Amen. That is the prayer that we pray today. We invite the Holy Spirit of God to be with us. It is the presence of God's Spirit that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. It is the presence of God's Spirit that unites us together into a spiritual family to learn about this love that God has given us that we are invited to lavish on one another and to share that good news with a broken and a hurting world around us. Uh, If you're newer to the church and you haven't uh, seen me before, it's because I've been away for a few weeks on vacation. My name's Kurt, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to be back with you all. Uh, We're going to start a new series today, just a three-week series called Unite, which is picking up on the theme from our high school students' summer uh, conference called Chick. But before we jump into that, uh, being gone on vacation for a number of weeks, I thought it would be fun to just share a a few pictures from our vacation, just to bring you up to speed with what we've been doing. Uh, So if you'd indulge me for a a minute here, I, I have some photos that we can share, if we can pull the first one up. Okay, so... After uh, performing a wedding for the uh, Turner and Cook families in Spokane, we just continued going east, and we uh, went to Bonners Lake, Idaho. Uh, and from there, we uh, stopped at Kootenai Falls. It is a beautiful fall area where we did lots of hiking and uh, being kind of out in the woods in nature. Uh, from there, we went on to Flathead National Forest, where we did some tent camping, and uh, pause there for a second. Lucas and I built our, our first campfire together as a father and son, so you can see we were pretty proud of our uh, our campfire. Okay, we can go on. Uh, from there, we took a day trip into uh, Glacier National Park. We did the hike at the Hidden Lake Trailhead, and we were out in just beautiful country, and It was awesome just to be together as a family. Uh, Coming back, we stopped at the uh, um, Lookout Pass ski area uh, because we heard about this thing called the Trail of the Hiawatha, which is a 15-mile bike trail that they've converted out of an old railroad uh, passageway. So we rented bikes and did 15 miles in the mountains through tunnels and over train trestles, and it was just a beautiful, amazing time. Then we were able to get to the coast. We did some uh, beach camping and kayaking on the Colorado River, or a Columbia River, not Colorado. Okay, okay pause there. Uh, and then I had the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. A friend of my dad's gifted this amazing fishing trip up into the Northwest Territories. so we flew uh, to Saskatchewan, and from there took a prop plane even north to the border of Saskatchewan, and we had to fly into the, the lodge in a float plane where we spent the week uh, fishing. It was all catch and release, fishing for uh, northern pike and lake trout, uh, you can see what the country was like. There was just water everywhere and tundra. Uh, and I got to spend a week with my dad, uh, who turned 81 this year. And so it was just a wonderful opportunity to be with him and to be in this amazing uh, experience. Uh, there's some of the uh, trophy fish that we caught. And uh, there's mine. You can see I'm wearing that kind of sun cap because the first day, <laughs> I, uh, I failed to realize that you have to put sunscreen over your hat hole and, uh, and, and through my hat, I got the, uh, what I came to find out from the guide, I, apparently I wasn't the first one to have experienced this, I, I got the, the rising sun, is what they call it at the fishing lodge. So I had uh, decided to do my, uh, my new summer hairdo, uh, which is a little uh, bit closer, shaved this, this summer, and, but it was beautiful country, and it was great to be with good people. Um, the last slide there is, again, the guys on the trip, and me and my dad, but it was a wonderful time to be away. Thank you for allowing me and my family to have that time to rest and renew, and uh, it is exciting, of course, to come back to be with you and to be uh, with family. Of course, I'd be remiss to not say thanks to Dick and Lisa and Greg and Kara, who covered the preaching while I was gone. Um, and as we've heard this summer, our high school kids got a chance to do this. Uh, every three years, they go on this conference called Chick, and uh, it's always impactful. And it was been great to hear some of the stories uh, that they shared. Thanks to uh, Caleb and Brisham and Maria and Amelia, who shared some of their stories. If you weren't able to be here for that, you can uh, check that out online on our website and hear what uh, some of their um, stories of impact and how they enjoyed that trip. But we would like to spend a few weeks picking up that same theme that our students were hearing about at Chick, and it's this idea of unity in the church. Uh, To live the Christian life well, the Bible tells us, requires that we live it together in unity. The Christian life, I would say, is a team sport where everybody plays, Right? There's, there's no bench sitters in, in Christianity. We're all part of the team, and, and, and living the Christian life well is meant to be an experience of living in relationship with other people who share the same Holy Spirit that we have in us. Unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean we always agree on everything. It doesn't mean we don't have different perspectives. It doesn't mean that we always get along. What it means is that in spite of our differences and in spite of the the challenges that we have, we have a higher calling because God sent his son into the world to give his life so that we could have life. And, And that truth, that reality that we believe means that all of our petty differences, all of our squabbling, all of the challenges that we have in getting together and getting along can be overcome when we submit ourselves to that higher authority and to say that we can demonstrate God's love that he gave to us in how we treat one another as we work through our differences. And I believe what we find out, if we're willing to give ourselves to that calling, to that purpose, is that ultimately we are better together. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump into uh, this new series this morning, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Holy God, thank you for times of rest and renewal, for family. Thank you for spiritual friends and family, for community. Thank you for inviting us into this experience uh, called church, where we can learn to live in relationship with you by giving of ourselves in relationship to one another. Speak to us through your spirit and your word this morning. Help us to know not only how deeply you love us, but how deeply you desire us to experience your life in us, in our relationships together as the church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In essence, I'd like to suggest that the idea of unity describes what the church is supposed to be in its very nature. See, the church isn't supposed to be just a building on a corner. The church is not a religious business. The church isn't a a spiritual club where we, we join by giving our membership. Although we may see different aspects of those things as we live out our life as church together, if you read the Bible carefully, you see that church in its essence is a community of diverse Christian people who are united because they share God's spirit. See, when we focus on the building or we focus on the business or we focus on the club aspects of being church together, we tend to become more and more divided in our attitudes and our thinking rather than being more united. And yet the challenge that we'll see in scripture today is that God's people are called to learn how to be unified together because our unity, in spite of our differences, is a huge part of the witness that we have, that God's love is real and at work in our lives because the world out there that we live in, we know is a broken and a fractured and a contentious world. And when they look at us and see how we can learn to live together and love one another well, even when we are in conflict and having challenges, they can begin to see, hey, maybe there's something to this Christianity thing. Maybe there's something real about this gospel message that allows people to have a different experience of life and relationship, even with all of our own brokenness and weaknesses. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we have a God whose grace and mercy allow us to offer that same love to one another in our relationships. As we move forward into this new ministry season as a church and school picks up and we we begin to have ministries come back online, if we desire to strengthen our church moving forward in our own spiritual lives as believers, I'd like to suggest for us this morning that we once again need to seek what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.3 to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, I invite you to turn there to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to look at verses one through six this morning. Uh, if you want to uh, turn on your uh, digital flat screen Bible, you can do that. Uh, we have some Bibles in the in, in the, uh, the pew racks, but we also will have it on the screen for you. You're reading the. To the church in Ephesus, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4 As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, Paul's concern at the beginning is to, to focus on how we live together as Christians, has to be based on what we say we believe about who God is. Our theology has to be borne out into the practicality of what the Christian life is all about. So understanding God's word and what we believe is so essential, but the next step is how does that really impact the way we live our lives together as Christians and understand what it means to be the church together? True unity can be a challenge if we're honest, right? I mean, so many issues threaten to undermine our sense of oneness as the body of Christ. In many places in our world today, we know that we struggle as a society with unity. We are broken and fractured in so many places, and and there's so many different divisions and arguments going on, and and, and you don't have to listen to the the evening news very long to know that we as human beings really struggle with learning how to love one another well in spite of our differences. We don't have unity between differing groups. And sometimes even within existing groups, we have struggles. And and all of this plays itself out in local churches and congregations as well. Now, to give us a sense of, hopefully, encouragement, an article in uh, the Christian Courier says, it's difficult to find a church within the framework of New Testament history. If you think back to the early church, which we often idealize, right? If we could just get back to the early church... You would struggle to find that they did not experience the same level of discord and challenges that we experience in the church today. Think of the church in Jerusalem that was troubled with Judaizers, or the Corinthian congregation that had their fractious elements that gave inordinate adulation to leaders or even the beloved Philippian church that had its Euodia and Syntyche problem. These examples are by no means exhaust the list. In fact, if you go through and you read much of the New Testament letters, most of the letters were written by leaders to churches who were having struggles. They were having problems, and so the letters were written to address the challenges that we face as human beings who are broken and flawed, trying to live into this idea of what does it mean to love one another well, based on this model of love that God has revealed in his son Jesus. That's why Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesian church. Ephesians essentially is a unity letter. If you read through the, the full letter, maybe you want to spend some time doing that this week or as we go through this series, you'll see that Paul's concern for unity in the church is the driving force behind modeling for one another and for the world around us. This amazing gospel message that God has given his son So that we could experience a whole new experience of life. This morning, I'd just like to highlight a few key features uh, of this passage for us. And then in the next couple weeks, we're gonna go deeper into practical ideas of how we can live this out together in unity as a faith community. The first thing I wanna highlight for us is that that as you read through this and the the rest of the letter of, of Ephesians, you realize we don't create unity ourselves. Unity comes from Christ. It's part of his gift to us and the invitation for us to enter into a new experience of unity in our relationships with one another. We choose whether or not we live in it, but the the unity of the church comes from Christ himself. It's something that we're invited to live into by the presence of his spirit. And as we allow ourselves to recognize that the call that we all have is is to give up some of our own rights and preferences for the sake of of Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. And when we have that shared ideal that we are all here to serve Christ, we come with greater humility and an understanding that part of our job in experiencing the presence of Christ is to allow other people to, to, to have their needs equally heard and met in our relationships with one another. You see, when, when we make Christ the priority, when we make his lordship the priority, our values switch to we begin to value what Christ values, right? And what is Christ's primary value? People. Right. If you look at the story of why would Christ have given up his throne in heaven, uh, come down to become one of us, give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world to be beaten and bloodied and crucified and only to be thrown into a tomb uh, in order to then rise so that we could be brought back into relationship with our heavenly father. Right. Christ came to save people. Christ didn't come to save Faith Covenant Church or uh, the Lutheran Church or the Evangelical Covenant Church or the Presbyterian Church. Christ came for individual people. He came for you and for me. And so if, if Jesus values people, what do you think our priority should be? Should be people as well, right? See, the community of the church isn't the source of its own existence. We are here because of Christ and his love for us. He's the unity in the church, and and we exist only for him. Therefore, our concern shouldn't be for what worship style we have or whether we have the debate over chairs versus pews or what color the carpet is or the programs of the church. All of those things can be helpful and important, but they can also begin to distract us from the priorities that Christ has for us, which is, are we loving and developing people? Because if we're not loving and developing people, then all of those other things have no value. They're all given as gifts to be used for the purpose that Christ gave his life, was to see people restored and brought back into loving, healthy relationship with God. See, rather than concern uh, for unity as, uh, out of our own preferences and our own desires, we submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ together, and out of that we discover that we are better together. See, our common commitment to Jesus as the Lord of our lives is what allows us to maintain our unity even when we find ourselves in disagreement. In fact, unity among diverse groups of people is a part of the gospel message, right? Part of the evidence of the presence of God's spirit is when people who come from diverse backgrounds and diverse perspectives find loving relationship together, that becomes a part of the testimony that God is really at work in our lives. The second thing I'd like to highlight out of this passage is is that we have this calling together. I always say Christianity is a team sport where everybody plays, right? There's no bench sitters in Christianity. This calling to follow Christ is is a calling to to follow Christ together. We we have this vertical relationship with God that we're invited into, but the Bible is very clear that we live that out as we learn to live with other people and love one another well. Therefore, every Christian is called. It's not just pastors who have a calling. It's not just people who are on staff at a church who have a calling. But if you're a Christian, you're called. You're called to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus called his disciples, said, follow me. And they left their, their former life and they followed him and became his disciples. We are called to live this life of following Jesus, but we're also called to do that together in community. That's what church is supposed to be all about. That's why it's so important that we seek to learn how to live in unity together. I always say you get two people in a room and what do you got? Conflict right? You get two people in a room, and you've got conflict, because we're all different. We all have our own wants and desires. We have our own perspectives. We all have our own woundedness and brokenness, and boy, do we know how to choose to push each other's buttons really well, right? And the better you get to know somebody, the more you know those sensitive spots, and we're really good at pushing each other's buttons. You get two people in a room, and you've got conflict. You see, God knows how we're wired. God knows our weaknesses. God made you and me. And so he has designed his spirit to be the modifying force to help us to overcome those broken places in our lives. So even though we are not perfect in this, we can begin to grow and experience a greater level of health in our relationships with one another. And you know what happens? The healthier we get in our relationships, the greater the ministries of the church expand because God can use us to be a blessing to others' Around us, That leads us really to the third kind of related point is that Christianity in and of itself is really a relational religion, right? The, the core of Christianity is that we're invited back into a relationship with God and then that puts us into relationship with other people. As Christians, we share an identity in our relationship with Christ and therefore we're invited to give our lives as a part of a community of people to help one another experience greater health and wholeness in our lives. We can't live this out individually and we need each other to pursue the mission and the ministries of the church. Klein Snodgrass, in his commentary on Ephesians, says, Paul stresses that every Christian is responsible to build up the church. Let me say that again. Every Christian is responsible to help build up the church. We have all received grace for ministry and must live worthy of our calling. We're all expected to work to strengthen the church, and only as each person fulfills his or her calling is the church truly strong. See, see, God is a relational God. God exists in, in a trinity of relationship within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that relational identity of God's character is the same relationship he invites us to live into together as well. And as we think about building up the church, it's not building up the programs of the church. It's building up the people of the church. And, and and I have to share with you a confession that I've been struggling this summer as I've been anticipating a new ministry year ahead. And there's this tension that I have that 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 I I'm struggling to resolve. And and a part of this season and this series, I'd love for us to begin to prayerfully be thinking together where God might be leading us as a faith community in this season ahead. And here, here's the tension. You know, I've been saying for several years now, discipleship isn't one of the things that we do, right? It's the one thing that we do. And everything that we do is about discipleship. And, and what that means is that, yes, programs are important. Worship services are important. Uh, uh, chairs and pews are important. All of the things that we do as a church are important if they're tools in helping us to develop disciples of Jesus, if they're focused on connecting people in life-giving relationships that allow us to experience the newness of Christ. Now, the challenge is we can do so many of these things that we call church that actually distract us from doing that core thing of really developing people. And so my challenge as a pastor and my tension for us as a church is what do we need to do in the season ahead that's going to allow us to cut through the clutter of churchiness And really get down to the bare bones question, are we really growing as disciples of Jesus? And are we really helping one another to grow in our faith? Because if that's not happening, all this other stuff has no real value, right? It's all just religious show. It's all just glitz and glamour on the surface. The core issue of unity in the church is are we helping one another to grow in our faith? Jesus' famous statements in uh, John 17, at the end of his life, he's, he's preparing to go to the cross, and he's praying for his disciples, is that he's praying that they will experience unity in the same way that he experienced unity with his father, right? My prayer, he said, is that they will be one, Father, as you and I are one. The unity that God has in his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit nature is the same unity he prayed for his disciples to experience in their relationships with one another. And then the big question is why? Why did he pray this? In the end he says, so that the world will know that you sent me. You see, our experience of life-giving relationship with one another in discipleship to Jesus is our testimony to the world that God is alive and well and at work at Faith Covenant Church, at work in Sumner, Washington, at work in East Pierce County, as we develop relationships of love and unity, even in the spite of our differences and our brokenness. We become a testimony to a world that is in desperate need of finding a better way of living life and relationships together. Which really leads me to the last observation I'd like to make for this morning is that ultimately, unity is God's life manifesting itself in our lives. Christian unity is God's life manifesting itself In our lives, it is the unity of God Himself that that becomes the gift that He gives us so that we can choose to value the things that God values over the things that the world values. Spirit led, Christ established, God honoring unity is designed by God to be a witness to the world and to bring the glory to God Himself. Ultimately, it's not about us, it's all about Him. We see this expressed by Paul in this passage in verse 4. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called. See, the Holy Spirit is what brings the unity to the Christian community. And and then in verse 5, he said, There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The Son of God is one who reigns in our unity. And it's as we submit ourselves to his Lordship in our life that we experience the truth of our faith, the, the truth of this baptism into which we were baptized, which is a birth into the community that we call the church. And ultimately, in verse 6, he tells us that it's the Heavenly Father who truly sustains our unity together. There is one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, Christian unity is a sign of God's redemption and healing at work in the lives of broken, messed up people. And we are those broken, messed up people people. I always say this, right? It's not about how good we are, it's about how good God is. And when we can offer the love and the grace and the mercy for one another that God has showed up, even in our messed upness and our brokenness, we are demonstrating that there's a greater vision for how we can experience peace and unity through forgiveness and grace that God has demonstrated in his son Jesus. As Greg shared a few weeks ago, uh, he talked in, from Ephesians 1 about this mystery of God's will that is now revealed through the church. And, and part of that mystery is that all people are included in this invitation from God. It wasn't just the Hebrew or the Jewish people, but even the Gentiles were included in this invitation through Jesus. And in Ephesians 1.10, it says that the mystery of God's grace, the purpose that he purposed in Christ, would be put into effect When the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You see, this idea of unity that we get to experience and live out together as the community of Christ is God's ultimate promise and plan for redeeming creation. The very end of history, when when all is said and done, the purpose of Christ will be fulfilled, that all things will be brought together in unity. And, And men and women, we get to experience that now. We don't have to wait till the end of history. We can begin living into it on this side of heaven. We can begin to to experience the power of God to help us overcome our brokenness and our weakness. And and, and this isn't just here at church on Sunday morning. This impacts how we live together as, as men and women, as husbands and wives. This impacts how we, we treat our kids and how we parent our families. It, it impacts what kind of employees we can be and how we can share this same kind of unity in, in, with our coworkers and our colleagues and our, our fellow students at school. You see, all of this begins to, to flow outward into the world as a testimony that there's a new power at work. There is a new kingdom that has emerged in the world. And if you're willing to see with the eyes of faith, God will give you that spirit to allow you to be a part of his kingdom even here today. So next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about how we can begin to unite more as disciples of Jesus. And then we're going to talk about how we can unite more as servant leaders. And ultimately, my hope is that it will prep us to begin to to enter into a new ministry year this fall with eyes of faith to see God preparing us to experience life and ministry together in some new ways. If you think about it, the communion feast that we're about to participate in is a symbol of our Christian unity. Right? It is the, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ that calls us all together, not because we have any claim on the grace of God, but because in our frailty and in our sin, God invites us to all come on equal footing with humility to receive his mercy and his grace in our lives. So I'm going to invite us to come to this table where Jesus is the gracious host, where we can be reminded of and allow ourselves to begin to hear anew from the Holy Spirit about how we, can participate in a greater sense of unity as a church. Would you pray with me? God, we know how easy it is for us to get focused on the wrong things. How in all of our good intentions, we can be distracted by the values of this world and we can be hurt by the behaviors of other people. God, in the challenge of living in healthy relationship, would you give us eyes to see how you are inviting us to be a part of the solution and and, and not a part of the problem? Give us your grace this morning through this Holy Communion feast where we're reminded that the same love that you have given us is the the love that we have to share with one another that helps us to overcome our differences, to, to mend our brokenness, and to bring healing and wholeness to the world around us. And we will thank you and praise you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gave his life so that we might have life and have it to the full. Amen. Amen.